Thank you for tuning in to the World Overcomers podcast. On behalf of our senior pastor, Andy Thompson, we appreciate your continued support and generosity. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast to receive updates when we post new content every week. If you would like more information or want to make a contribution to World Overcomers or Pastor Andy, visit www.worldovercomers.church slash podcast. Once again, that is www.worldovercomers.church slash podcast. Enjoy the message. Um, are you ready for the word today? Come on, who's double dipping today? You coming to church this morning and tonight. Come on, who's coming tonight? Let's go. Come on, let's hear from God. Let's hear from God. If you got a Bible, let's go to the book of Judges. If you got a Bible, let's go to the book of Judges. I'm so happy to be back home. There is no place on earth like Durham, North Carolina. And um, I've gotten about like 100 hugs since I walked in today. And uh, I feel the love, y'all. And I feel like preaching. If y'all feel like eating, I feel like cooking, okay? I'm, I, feel, I feel it. I feel it today. Some, sometimes you don't, but sometimes, mm, ugh. This is my favorite place to preach, so I feel it today. Uh, go to Judges. Go to Judges. Um, we're, 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 I'm going to give you some news, um, and, and uh, I think you're going to be excited about this. Uh, June 8th, 2024, I graduate with my doctorate. June 8th, 2024. I graduate as my doctor. I'm already ready. I'm already ready. Uh, on June 9th, my Instagram handle will be Dr. Manny Arango. Okay, and just go ahead and you know reserve my new Instagram handle. Uh, and 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 I purposely gave you that information uh, with no context. I didn't give you any context for that information. I just dropped that information on you um, because I want you to see that without context, it is very very difficult to appreciate the content of what somebody is saying to you. Now, for all of you who don't know, um, I, I'm gonna give you context. My father is a Cuban immigrant to this country. Uh, my father was in prison for 18 years in Cuba, immigrated to this country. My father struggled with a drug addiction my entire life. My dad took me to a crack house for the first time when I was five years old. My mother was pregnant with my older sister at the age of 12, pregnant again at 14 uh, with my older brother. Three of my aunts are prostitutes, all five of my uncles are alcoholics. I've met most of my cousins through glass because they were incarcerated when I met them. I am the first Orango to get my bachelor's degree. I'm the first Orango to get my master's degree. I'm the first Orango to own property. I'm the first Orango to have children after marriage, not before marriage. I'm the first Orango to break generational curses of poverty and lack and confusion and depression and anxiety and mental instability. I'm the first Orango to not be addicted to any substance. I'm the first Orango to walk across the stage and become doctor anything. So when I walk across the stage on June 8th, 2024. I will not be receiving a degree. I will be receiving confirmation that the devil is a liar and that there is no curse that is stronger than the blood of Jesus and the destiny of God over your life. We declare you are not a victim. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. You are the head and not the tail. You are above only and never beneath. You can do all things through Jesus Christ. Hey, I feel the Holy Ghost in the room. You see how once I gave you context, 
We went from golf claps to an eruption of praise because words don't mean anything without context. 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 Every husband in the room knows this. Oh, come on. Husbands are masters of context. If you are a husband and you are not a master of context, your marriage is on the rocks. Because women will just throw you curveballs. I know as a husband, I've been married for 10 years, you know what I'm saying? I'm getting out of my rookie season, starting to actually putting up double digits, you know what I'm saying? Married for 10 years. So, so I know there's a difference between, yeah, I'm okay, and yeah, I'm okay. <laughs> Same words. I know, I know, I know that on December 1st, when Tia says, I don't want anything for Christmas. I know to ignore those words because on July 2nd, she sent me a link. And her birthday is in March. So you ain't sending me no link for birthday gifts. You sent me a link in July and gave me context to interpret your words in December. So when we got to December and you said, I don't even need no gifts this year, there were still gifts under the tree because I ain't ignorant. I understand that I can ignore your words and put your words into, you know, the most frustrating thing in the world is being taken out of. Has anybody ever gossiped about something you said to them? And when they gossiped to a gossiper, the gossiper came back and gossiped it to you? Come on. And they quoted you to you. And you got upset. And you wanted to say back, I did say that. But the gossiper conveniently edited out the context of why I said that, when I said that, and what they said before I said that. Yes, I said that. But without, you can make anybody sound crazy. One of my favorite Twitter accounts is Dr. Umar, out of context. No context, Dr. Umar. It is one of the best Twitter accounts. If you don't know who that man is, whew, look him up. It'll bless your life. All the millennials are laughing. Okay. Context. 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 Context changes everything. It's funny. I got taken out of context recently, and I always say this, and people start clapping, and I go, no, 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 listen. I went viral on Instagram. I had a video that got over a million views on Instagram, thousands of con comments, and we gained thousands of followers, and I went viral. And anyone who's ever gone viral on Beyonce's internet understands this, that it's one thing to get a lot of views. It's a whole other thing to start reading through the comments because we live in a world of clips and comments, but not context. No one's going to go find the whole YouTube video and watch the 45-minute message. Everybody's just going to assume that they know what they're talking about because they got an iPhone. Thumb thugs. So in the clip, what people don't know is in context, I was preaching in Columbia, South Carolina. I was preaching for a good friend of mine, and I was talking about time. I was actually talking to the gentleman in the room, and I was telling all the men in the room that time is a seed, and you need to be careful how you sow that seed. And there are four laws to sowing and reaping when it comes to time. You don't just reap what you sow, but you reap where you sow. So if you sow all of your time at work, you can't expect to reap a harvest from your wife and your kids because you chose where you sow 
sow your time. And you don't just reap what you sow, you reap where you sow, and you reap more than you sow, and you reap after you sow. I did a whole thing on, on managing and stewarding your time. But of course, nobody cared about the context. Every comment, look at this prosperity gospel preacher. I bet he took up an offering after he taught everybody this. I look at this money grabbing. This is why I don't go to church. And I'm looking at my phone and I want to scream at everybody in the phone going, you have no idea what you're talking about. Just because you have an Instagram account and an opinion does not mean that you have context for the content that you are currently watching. And now you are commenting on a clip and you have no context for the clip and we are living living in a culture that doesn't care about context. We don't care about the greater story. All we care about is the clip and the comment and your opinion, and we are dying for lack of context. Context. Context changes everything. Context of mood, context of timing, context. Ooh, and if there's anybody, I know you've been frustrated that you've been taken out of context. I've been frustrated that I've been taken out of context. If there's anybody who's more frustrated than all of us for being taken out of context, it's God. Because the more word, the more opportunity people have to take word out of You've been looking for a word. Oh, I'm going to get you. You've been looking for a word all year. But actually, a word out of context is not going to bless your life. You don't just need a word from God. You need the greater context for the word from God. Because you can pluck Philippians 4.13 out of context, headed to your yoga class with your latte, talking about I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Baby, you don't know what chapter that's found in. You don't know what book that's found in. You have no context for why God said that or what God said when he meant that. You have no idea that there's a difference between what God says and what God means by what he says context context I love this because the Bible can say all kinds of stuff without context you would think that the Bible promotes slavery until you learn that American race-based chattel slavery is not the same as Greco-Roman slavery that had no race base to it, and it was actually a voluntary thing. And so when Paul writes, slave, obey your masters, there are evil and wicked people in this nation that have taken that passage out of context to oppress a whole bunch of people in the room who look a lot like me. And just because someone has abused the Bible doesn't mean I throw the baby out with the bathwater. Just because you took the Bible out of context doesn't mean I get to be church hurt for the next 25 years and neglect God in my life. Oh, I'm coming to you because there's a lot of us, we've deconstructed the faith, and you ain't even deconstructed nothing God said. You deconstructed something your denominational leader said. So now you're mad at a pastor and you're taking it out on God. Because your faith wasn't built on the Bible, it was based on a pastor who taught you the Bible. And if it's really, if your faith is worth anything, then it may be worth the work that it's going to take to ask some hard questions about not just what your pastor said to you, but whether or not your pastor has a theological bent or a theological persuasion, or whether or not your pastor is reading the Bible in, ooh, we going somewhere today. Context, context, 
Context. Context changes everything. There's passages of scripture. This is, I love this because Paul, ooh, Paul. I can tell Paul right now. This is why you single, bro. Keep telling women to be quiet in church. Paul loved telling women to be quiet. You read books like Timothy, you read books like Corinthians, you like, Paul, why do you love telling women to be quiet and learn in submission? And here we go. Can I give you some? It's funny because Paul is writing to a young pastor by the name of Timothy. And Timothy is pastoring in a city called Ephesus. And Ephesus is famous. Ephesus is famous for a temple that's dedicated to the goddess uh, named Artemis. Everybody say Artemis. Artemis, Artemis, Artemis. Artemis is a fav, fav, famous Greco-Roman god. And Artemis is actually the goddess of fertility and chastity and childbearing. Oh, and there is a massive monument and a temple to Artemis. It's called the Artemisium, and it's in Ephesus. It is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. You can Google check me, baby. You look up Artemisium. You look up Ephesus. You can read a whole Wikipedia article about it, but I'm getting my doctor, so you can trust me. Anyway, uh, uh, the Artemisium, and, and, and they taught us a couple of things at the Artemisium. The goddess uh, Artemis, she taught, first of all, she didn't like no poor women. She wanted high-value women. So you had to come to the temple of Artemis with gold jewelry, and you had to pledge your allegiance to Artemis with a very specific braided hairstyle. And when you came to the temple of Artemis, it was a hyper-feminist cult that didn't allow men to be in leadership. And they taught that women were created first, then men. So when Paul writes to this young man named Timothy, he's writing to him because the gospel is not just for believers, but there were women from the Artemisium that had wandered into the church, and I'm scared if the church becomes an echo chamber absolutely people from all walks of life should wander into our church and Paul says to Timothy whoa 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 I need to set the record straight with these women first of all you don't need to have your hair braided which is not an indictment on my black sisters with box braids their braided hair was a sign of their allegiance to Artemis which means there should be no confusion when you become a Christian. We should not be in confusion about who you've pledged your allegiance to. If, you got a, if God is the God of your life privately, he should be the God of your life publicly, which is why you get dipped in this water as a public declaration of a private decision that you've made in your heart. And so Paul sets the record straight. He says, first, first of all, Adam was made first, then Eve. Second, get the braids out your hair, and you don't need gold jewelry no more. And here we go, Paul, straight out of 1948. You'll be saved through childbearing. What Paul talking about? Guess what all these women believed? They believed that when they were in the world, when they were serving Artemis, when they were a part of the Artemisium, they believed that the goddess of childbearing kept them safe in a culture where the majority of women died while they were giving birth to children. They believed that it was their allegiance to this demonic deity that was keeping them safe while they were on the birthing table. And now they've come into the church and Paul is not giving them a misogynistic, chauvinistic idea. What Paul is saying to them, they aren't having sex with their husbands. They aren't getting pregnant because they're scared that Artemis is going to have vengeance on them. And Paul wants to say to them, salvation will come to you when you give birth to your children because the same God that kept you when you were out in the world serving a God that was actually a demon is the same God that's going to rescue you now that you're a part of the faith and ain't it crazy how something with no context will make you mad as a woman in the 21st century and then somebody puts it into some context and then you realize that something that sounds patriarchal and misogynistic is actually for your liberation 
and for your freedom. That you don't have to be bound by what culture says a woman is, but you can actually come into the kingdom and God says culture doesn't define who you are. Context. Context. I hope you're ready to learn something today at church. I ain't getting this doctorate for no reason. Paid a lot of money for this thing. Context. I want us to study judges with some context. We're going to study a character by the name of Samson. But a lot of us have studied Samson's life with no. And we're going to put his life into the context of the book of Judges. See, Judges has a cycle. Every single judge is stuck in a cycle. What happens is that Israel rebels against God. That's the first step in the cycle. They rebel against God. They worship false deities. After they worship false deities, they get imprisoned. They get entrapped by some foreign power. And then a deliverer rises up. A deliverer by the name of Othniel. A deliverer by the name of Ehud. A deliverer by the name of Deborah. That deliverer rallies everybody around the worship of Yahweh again. And then Israel has peace. They've deli- they're liberated from their oppressors. And then what happens? That liberator dies in the cycle repeats. They start worshiping Baal again. They start worshiping Asher again. And what happens? God has to chastise them, has to discipline them. And now he raises up the Philistines or raises up the Midianites to oppress them again. They cry out and their oppression. God raises up a deliverer, a charismatic personality. That person rallies everybody around the worship of one true God. And they have peace for about 25, 30 years. And then that person dies. And the cycle Repeats over and over and over. And the reason the cycle repeats is because the cycle is built on a person. The reason the cycle repeats is because the cycle is built on codependent spiritual relationships. The reason the cycle repeats is because you, every single year, keep saying things like, I'm going to leave this church because they don't feed me. When was it our responsibility? To feed you. My son is two and a half years old. That joker feed himself. Oh, they don't feed me. You need a bib when you come to church? So you're saying that your whole relationship with God is built on somebody holding a microphone? Don't you know that if you are actually going to have an appetite, that you actually have to eat more? Okay, come on. Thanksgiving, Christmas. Thanksgiving, Christmas. Thanksgiving, Christmas. Every Thanksgiving, every Christmas, here's what happened. Dinner time's at 4 o'clock. And I know when I wake up, if I don't eat all day, I'm not going to have the capacity in my stomach to eat the three meals at four that I actually want to eat. I want first, seconds, and thirds. So I have to eat breakfast and lunch to enlarge my stomach to the place. Oh, am I the only fat kid in the room? (laughs) If I don't eat all day, what happens is my stomach shrinks. If I warm up my stomach, then I can have first, sec. I can't eat too much. Just a little snacky snack. Muffin at nine, some coffee, some croissants, some chicken nuggets, because McDonald's always open on Christmas. I'm the only fact, okay, I'm the only one. Y'all are judging me. The reason that you can't take 45 minutes of word on a Sunday It's because you didn't read the word on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, 
or Saturday. So now you want to come to church and pig out and your stomach has shrunk because you've starved yourself all week. So now we're trying to give you word and you are trying to eat, but your stomach is too small. And you're living in a cycle. Living Sunday to Sunday. Sunday to Sunday, stuck in a cycle, waiting for Gideon, waiting for Moses, waiting for somebody with the anointing of God. Hey, guess what? You're anointed. You are anointed by God. You're anointed to cast out devils. You're anointed to heal the sick. You're anointed to lay hands on yourself. You're anointed. And this is a prophetic word for 2024. If you are going to get spiritually mature, it cannot be reliant on the integrity of a leader or the charisma of a leader. You are going to have to detach yourself from the breast of somebody who's been eating the word for themselves and actually get a fork and a knife and learn how to feed yourself. If you are going to be spiritually mature, you can't just be dependent. Cycles. 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 You're caught in a cycle. So now we get a new cycle. It's Samson. Samson comes to the scene, and there's another theme for the book of Judges. Judges always highlights people who the world would have rejected. But God says what the world calls a deformity I, and the world calls a defect, I call dangerous. So if you look at all the judges, you get Gideon who's from the weakest tribe, the smallest tribe. It's full of insecurity. You look at Deborah, she's a woman. She shouldn't be leading in, in this time and in this culture. And you look at Ehud. I love Ehud. I love Ehud. Because the Bible tells us that Ehud is a left-handed man. And the Bible doesn't waste time telling us details that are irrelevant. Why is it relevant that he's a left-handed man? It's relevant that he's left-handed because in that cultural context, left-handedness was seen as a sign of a deformity. So if you were left-handed, they would force you to be right-handed because they saw left-handedness as a sign of a, of a, of a retardation, of a deformity. Left-handedness was seen as something that was wrong. And so Ehud would have never been allowed to be in leadership because he was left-handed. But God says the very thing that the world, uh, that culture sees as a deformity, I'm actually going to use it to make you dangerous. Ooh, I'm going to get a little nerdy. I'm going to get a little nerdy. So what would happen is if you were right-handed, you would strap your weapon to the inside of your left thigh. And so Ehud is called by God to kill the oppressive power that's, over, that's trying to overthrow Israel. But he's left-handed. So he straps his weapon to his right thigh. When he goes to see the king, all the armor bearers do is frisk your left leg. But because Ehud is left-handed, his weapon is not on his left leg. The very thing that the enemy thinks is a deformity is actually the thing that gives me a strategic advantage. And so what Ehud does is he slips past enemy lines. Although he was frisked, he, they didn't look in the place because they didn't think that anyone of substance would ever be left-handed. He gets behind enemy lines. That joker grabs his weapon from his right thigh, puts it in his left hand, and kills the king Eglon and all 
of Israel goes free that day because somebody with a deformity is actually the person that God wanted to elevate. Somebody that God, ooh, so aren't you happy that people don't get to throw you away? Aren't you happy that when the deacons wanted to throw you away, when the elders of the church didn't think you was this enough or that enough, God said, I'm not going to let them weed you out. I'm not going to let Pharisees and legalistic people weed out the ones that are actually anointed to make a difference in this world. Baby, I'm not perfect, but I know how to kill a giant. I ain't, I ain't never had no royalty in my life, but I'm crazy enough to kill a giant. I wonder if I'm talking to any Davids in the room who nobody would have selected you. Samuel went to anoint everybody else and all the brothers lined up and Samuel thought that it must be this one and it must be that one and God had to say man looks at the outward appearance but God looks at the heart it's not your height or your looks or your degree or your resume that opens doors for you you can have all of that and God still says it's me I'm the X factor in your life I need a good amen from some left-handed, dangerous people in the room. Context. Context. Can't understand Samson till I understand Judges. The whole book. Context. Judges has this repeating phrase. It says, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. I don't have time. Samson. Let's get to Samson. Judges chapter 16. Verse 4. I need you to read this with me. Uh, you can throw it up on the screen. Judges chapter 16. We don't need to stand up. Unless y'all really do want to. Sure, let's stand up. <laughs> Good moment in church. Sometime, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of whose name was the rulers of the, they went to Delilah and they said this, see if you can lure him into showing you the, 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 the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so that we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. Keep going. So Delilah said to Samson, tell me the to your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Without context, we are confused as to why there's a secret. But with context, we realize that every single judge has something that would have disqualified them. Which tells me that Samson looked a whole lot more like Kevin Hart than Shaquille O'Neal. Oh, I'm going to preach. Because the Bible never says he's tall. The Bible never says that he's large. The Bible just says that everyone's confused that someone who looks like that can accomplish something that looks like this. That the end result doesn't match the person that I'm looking at. So the Philistines go to Delilah and say, you got to get this brother to confess. You got to get this brother to tell you what the secret to his strength actually is. And you will continue to operate in cycles trying to protect something that's not actually the secret to your strength. 
Brother, you think that the secret to your strength is the money you make for your family. I'm here to tell you that the real secret to your strength is the vision you provide to that family. And as a law, ooh, because you'll demand that people clap for you because of the thing that you think is your secret sauce. But the thing you think is your secret is actually not your secret. I wonder if I'm preaching to anybody who knows that my secret is not my ability to clap back at people. My secret is my ability to get down on my knees and pray for people and get a breakthrough if you think something is the source of your strength you're protected with all your power until you realize ooh, I feel the Holy Ghost that God don't put strength in muscles he puts it in hair God puts power in places that you would never think to look. God puts power. God could put power in height. He could put power in muscles. But then you would get all of the glory from all of the enemies that you defeat. This God says, "Mm -mm." the same way Deborah had something that didn't make no sense. The same way Ehud had something that didn't make no sense. The same way that Jephthah had something that didn't make no sense. The way that Othniel should have been disqualified in a eliminated from leadership Samson also has something that doesn't make any sense and it's that he's small yet strong that it's never his muscles that win the battle but it's his hair if this message has blessed or encouraged you feel free to visit www.worldovercomers.church/podcast and learn more about WOCC or donate to the ministry. This enables us to continue to impact the kingdom in the best way possible. I I need you to go to one more passage. Come on, Matthew, 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 Matthew. This is why I didn't want y'all standing up. Because I preach while I read the the Bible. (laughs) It's okay, though. Let's go to Matthew. Let's go to Matthew. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be, and on the third day, raised to life. Peter took him aside. You got to have some confidence to take Jesus aside. Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Never, never and Lord don't go together, but anyway. Never, Lord. He said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me. Ooh. Get behind me. Not get behind me, Peter. You spent so much time being mad at people. Feeling misunderstood by people. That you can't see the spirit that's operating through the instrument of the person. So now you've spent all this emotional energy mad at Peter. Got an attitude for days. I can't believe Peter. Trying to come in between me and my purpose. Peter don't understand who I am. Your ego is bruised because you don't realize that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But they are powerful for the pulling down of strongholds. At some point I had to stop being angry at my father who was an addict, and start being angry at the spirit of addiction that was playing the both of us. At some point, I had to address the cocaine spirit, the physical, uh, 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 the substance abuse spirit, and say, 
while I'm mad with resentment and bitterness and anger towards this man who's struggling with an addiction, he's bound and I'm bound. And the devil got us both played. He's addicted to a substance and I'm addicted to anger. He's addicted to crack and I'm addicted to resentment and bitterness. And you think you're better than the person who hurt you and neglected you, but at the end of the day, God says to the both of you, you both sinners in my sight. Don't nobody measure up to me. So how about you stop being a Pharisee and get the plank out of your own eye? I had to stop talking to Peter. Every time my dad didn't show up to a basketball game, I was like, there's Satan again. There's the enemy again. And now I have a target for my anger. I'm mad at the enemy. I'm mad at how the enemy has played you and how the enemy has manipulated me by using you. There's something you need to get out of your vocabulary in 2024. Here it is. You made me mad. Can't nobody make you mad. Your anger is your choice. Stop putting that much power on everybody else. You made me mad. No, you did you. I chose to get mad. The spirit of a victim says stuff like, you made me mad. Don't nobody make me mad but me. I'm in control of myself. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. You want to operate in spiritual gifts? You can't even control your anger? Here we go. What does Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Ooh, you are a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. God, add a blessing to the reading of your word. In Jesus' name. Okay, you can sit down. Here's what I wish. I wish that Samson would have responded to Delilah the way that Jesus responded to Peter. Because here's what Samson does. He opens up his mouth and starts telling Delilah the secret to his strength. The context of Judges lets us know that God doesn't elevate anybody who's got obvious strengths. If it's obvious to man, then guess what? God goes, "Mm mm-mm, I use the lowly things of the world to shame the strong. I use the humble things of this world. I use people who nobody else would use. I use people who are unqualified. I use people without degrees. I use all kinds of people. And it's not just the degree. It's the posture of your heart. I'm all about degrees. I'm getting a doctorate right now. But don't get this twisted. Uh, God, the thing that makes me effective ain't the degree. The thing that makes me effective is the anointing of God. I was in that green room backstage, and the dudes in the back can attest. I'm praying out to heaven because the thing that makes me a good communicator is not how articulate I am. The thing that makes me a good communicator is the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And you can have your degrees and have your resume, but at the end of the day, the context of Judges tells us that God always chooses people who are out in the field tending the sheep doing stuff that nobody cares about moved to North Carolina from Boston with nothing started selling women's shoes at Nordstrom just being faithful 
picking up Pastor Andy's dry cleaning, serving at the church, and working at Nordstrom. You know how hard it is to work at Nordstrom? Eight pair of shoes for the same woman, and then she leaves without buying nothing. And you get paid on commission. I hated every moment of being anointed to preach but working at Nordstrom. Anointed to preach the gospel all over the world but working at Nordstrom. And there's so many of us, God never elevates you to hold a microphone because you can't hold the mop at Nordstrom and just be faithful over what God has called you to do in that season of your life. I'm at Nordstrom minding my own business. Pastor Andy walks in. You know, Pastor Andy walks in, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm about to make a good commission today. That man got money. I'm about to sell him all kinds of shoes. I sit there with the intention to sell shoes. Pastor Andy says to me, what are you doing this Tuesday? I said, nothing. Weirdly, I was scheduled to work. <laughs> but the right answer in that moment is nothing. <laughs> Whatever I got scheduled can be rescheduled. Meet me in my office on Tuesday. I meet that man in his office on Tuesday and became the youth pastor in a moment. Why? Because I was faithful doing what God had called me to do. God had gifted me to do this, but called me to be at Nordstrom. And I had not been where I needed to be, then the right person wouldn't have come along to elevate me from the prison to the palace. At some point, you got to get over your ego and start to realize, I'm about to take care of these sheep, and one day Samuel going to roll through to anoint the next king. And I I'm going to be serving and I'm going to be humble because God elevates people who know how to humble themselves. I'm not ashamed of my limp. I ain't ashamed of my left hand. The secret to my strength ain't in how good I preach. The secret to my strength is can I get you your correct shoe size? And so, ooh, the enemy can't tempt you with anything that's actually not in your future. Here we go, here we go, here we go. The enemy ain't never tempted me to go be a plumber. It's not a temptation. The enemy ain't never been like, look at them pipes. You know how much plumbers make? Never. The enemy has never shown up to tempt me to plumb. I don't even know if that's a verb. But here's what the enemy does tempt me to do. Act like a senior pastor before you're a senior pastor. Because God is not the only one who knows your future. The enemy knows your future and will make you lust after the thing that God actually wants to give you. And if you don't become the person that can actually sustain the thing that God wants to bring into your life, you'll realize it's my limp that got me here and I ain't ashamed of my limp now. It's my left handedness that got me here and I ain't ashamed of it now. It's my hair that got me here and I ain't ashamed of it now. I'm not going to be ashamed of the thing that actually made me attractive to God in the first place. It's context. Context for judges tells us that Samson has a hidden 
strength, a secret. It's funny because for years I was angry at my father, and then I finally got into therapy. Praise God for a good therapist. Praise God. We believe in the altar and therapy. We believe you need anointing oil and you need to talk to somebody. Praise God. Talking to a therapist, and I'm so angry about my father. I'm venting about my dad. I can't believe my dad, he was, you know, my dad took me to a crack house when I was five. My dad this, my dad that, my dad this. Oh, I'm just going on and on and on about how awful my father was and how he wasn't there for me. And he didn't provide what I thought he should provide. And then I started to go, yeah, and my dad, he had this way of talking his way into anything, talking his way about anything. My dad was oddly the most charismatic person I'd ever met in my life. My dad had broken all these laws and somehow was able to get down payments from people for jobs. And he would never really do the job. And he would get like a $20,000 down payment. My man should have been in jail a long time ago. I don't know how he's not in jail. He's just talked his way into anything, talked his way out of anything. I knew, I knew he wasn't coming to no basketball games. I knew, I knew the man. I had enough history to know that he ain't coming to this basketball game. But he's just weaved his web of deception and was like, I'm going to be at your game. And before I knew, I was stuck in the web. I was like, I believe this man because he's got a hypnotizing way with words. I said all this to the therapist. The therapist had the audacity to look at their little notebook and say back to me, sounds like your father left you a powerful set of gifts. I was like, that's not what I came here for. <laughs> I didn't come here for you to confront me or challenge me. I came here for pity, not power. You are trying to empower me. I like being a victim. Because as long as I'm a victim, I got somebody to blame. I'd rather hold up a microscope to my father than a mirror to me. Ain't it crazy how every time you get out of a relationship, it's always their fault? Never your fault. Ain't it crazy how, like, your breath is right here under your nose, but you can't smell it? Ain't it crazy? So the therapist said, sounds like your father left you a powerful set of gifts. It's funny now. It wasn't funny in the moment. Here's what I said. How about you put your little notebook down? Listen to what I'm saying. Clearly, you're not listening. Therapist put his, put his little notebook down. He was like, can you repeat what you said about your dad again? I was like, yeah, he could talk his way into anything, talk his way out of anything. He was manipulative with his words. If he had one superpower, it was his words. Oh, man, that, that joker could twist some words, could barely speak English was an immigrant from Cuba, but knew how to shuffle them broken Cuban words together. I'm so ignorant, it's Spanish. I know it's Spanish. <laughs> knew how to put them, boy! Talks way into anything, talks way out of thing, manipulative, charismatic, could light up a room with his personality. The therapist said, yeah, yeah, I got it right. Sounds like your father left you a powerful set of gifts. I said, fam, you better make it plain. I turned into an old church mama. I was like, make it plain, son, make it plain. The therapist said, ask me one question that has changed my life forever. The therapist said, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a preacher. Therapist said, then it sounds like you can talk people out of anything, talk people into anything. It sounds like you can talk people out of depression and into joy. It sounds like you can talk people out of anxiety and into peace. It sounds like God knew the exact man that needed to be your father so that you could talk people out of hell and into heaven for the next 
50, 60 years of your life. Ain't it crazy that God knows something that you don't know, that you're not omniscient. You don't get to pick the secret to your strength, that the secret to my strength is that a crackhead taught me how to preach. The secret to my strength is I learned more from a dad on crack than I would ever learn in seminary because that's the secret to my strength. And so often we want the secret to our strength to be our muscles because we want people to be impressed. You're so insecure because of the thing that you deem defective that you cannot appreciate the real secret to your strength. The thing that makes you strong is the thing that separates you from everybody else. There's a lot of people who preach, ain't nobody got my daddy though. <laughs> I've called him after incredible speaking engagements. Like, thanks. Like, for what? I'm like, you don't even know. You blessed me. And get this, as long as I hated you, I hated a part of myself. Because you can't love you and hate what made you. At some point, you have to acknowledge that God's ways are not your ways. That God's thoughts are not your thoughts. And you would have chosen a different family, a different neighborhood, a different set of circumstances. You would have chosen a different medical diagnosis. You would have chosen a different year. You would have chosen a different job. You would have chosen a different city. You would have chosen a whole lot of other things. But ain't it awesome that God gets to veto so many of our decisions because he is omniscient and I'm not omniscient. And in the late 70s, a Cuban dude by the name of Manuel Arango started working at Boston City hospital and met a woman with a go-to from Selma, Alabama. And now, 36 years later, there's a preacher on the earth because not two humans made a decision, but God is playing chess because God knew the exact secret that my strength required. He knew the exact assignment on your life. And while you're over here bitter, full of resentment, God is trying to show you it's the thing you want to throw away that makes you strong. The Bible says that Paul is not a good speaker. Come on, Bible nerds. The Bible says that Paul, the Apostle Paul, is not a good orator. Anyone, he was preaching one night and somebody fell out of a window and died. That's a context clue that homeboy was not the best preacher. People dying while you preaching, that's a bad sign. In Corinthians, he says, I didn't come to you with boldness and oratory. The Bible tells us that Apollos is actually the better communicator in the New Testament. So Paul decided, I ain't going to preach. I'm a right. Apollos never wrote anything because he was good at talking. Ain't it crazy how the thing that you wish you had actually turns into the thing that will last and stand the test of time? We have Corinthians, 
Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon. We have two-thirds of the New Testament because there was a dude who didn't like talking in public. And you over here mad about what you don't got. Meanwhile, there's a pen and parchment right next to you. Paul, keep getting in prison. Like, well, I guess since I'm locked up, I should write some stuff down. <laughs> Ain't it crazy how we still read in words today? Because what the enemy means for evil, God said that's the secret to your strength. What, what, what is the thing that, how did I get good at exhorting? You want to know how I got good at exhorting? Because I couldn't sing. Ask anybody on the worship team. I can't sing at all. I'm tone deaf. So I learned how to move a room with words instead of song. So anytime I get on stage, I know how to get the whole room to worship without singing ever because I turn my weakness into the secret of my strength. You over here complaining about what you don't got and can't be. But we rebuke the spirit of victim mentality off of you. As long as you focus on what you don't like about yourself and what you don't accept about yourself and what you don't want to be true about yourself, you actually throw away the very secret to your strength. The story of Samson feels like a failure because the man gets tricked by the Philistines, his eyes get plucked out. Oh, his whole life feels like an unresolved movie. You get to the end of Samson's life, and he has this final prayer. God, if you let my hair grow back, if you let my hair grow back and you give me power one more time. They tie him up in the temple of Dagon, and they put him in between two pillars. And there are Philistines all throughout the temple. And Samson prays this radical prayer, God, if you just let my strength come back, I'll protect this thing like I've never protected it in my life. I never thought that I needed to protect my hair. I was looking for strength in the wrong place. God, if you let my hair grow back, I'll push the pillars of the temple, and then I'll kill more Philistines in my death than I was able to kill in my life. And that's exactly what Samson does. God gives him a second chance. And we want to prophesy over your life today that you have a second chance. When I was in that therapist's office, that therapist gave me a second chance to start to protect the secret of my strength. God's going to give you a second chance to actually take that thing out of the recycling bin and begin to use it to your advantage. To not be insecure, but to manifest his glory through your weakness. God, I'm declaring that you could take the thorn away but instead of taking the thorn away you've said my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made evident in your weaknesses God I want you to take the thorn away but if you never take this thorn away I'll let this thorn be a testament of how good and gracious and mighty and awesome you are in my life and so Samson his hair grows back a little boy has to lead him to get in between the pillars of the temple. And Samson had killed hundreds, thousands of Philistines in his life. 
But as he pushed on the pillars, he killed himself and he killed more Philistines in his death than he ever did in his life. And it sounds sad. It's a sad ending to somebody's story. It's, it's, it's a morbid ending to somebody's story. But how many people know Jesus is the anchor? That everything that feels unresolved in Samson's life gets resolved in Jesus' life. Because Jesus could heal the blind while he was alive. But he knew that wasn't the secret to his strength. Jesus could take the two fish and the five loaves and multiply it in his life. But he knew that wasn't the secret to his strength. Jesus could preach sermons to thousands in his life. But he knew that his sermons wasn't the secret to his strength. And so he says to Peter one day, I've got to die. I've got to suffer. I've got to defeat more enemies of God in my death than I ever could in my life. And Peter, not understanding the things of God, but only understanding the things of men, looks at Jesus and says, oh, never. And Jesus goes, oh, no, no. You, Peter, think that these miracles are the secret. You think that my presence is the secret. You think that my sermons are the secret. I was born to die. I was born to suffer. I was born to be a ransom for your life so you will not stop me from going to the cross and saving humanity you don't understand the secret to my strength the secret to Jesus strength is the fact that he did not come to be served but came to serve and gave his life as a ransom for many he would have loved to live a long life but Jesus said I have faced my face like flint towards Calvary and I will hang on a cross and I will redeem Samson's story because the same way that Samson killed more enemies in his death than he ever could in his life, I will kill more enemies in my death than I ever did in my life because I'm the anchor and every time Samson failed, I am the fulfillment of every single Old Testament failure and I am here to declare you are strongest when you are weakest. What is the secret to your strength? Some of us, you think that unforgiveness makes you strong. I'm not forgiving them. They're going to think they got one over on me. You think that temper tantrums and anger makes you strong? That doesn't make you strong. I was counseling somebody and they said, oh, I'm, I can't forgive. I'm too strong for that. And I said, no, you can't forgive. You're too weak for that. The thing that you think is strength is not strength. The enemy has fooled you. Serving makes you strong. Forgiveness makes you strong. Your insecurities make you strong. Vulnerability makes you strong. Talking to the husbands in the room, transparency makes you strong. Your wife needs to know how you actually think and what you actually feel. What makes you strong? It is not what the world says makes you strong. Jesus says the thing that makes me strong is the cross. The fact that the enemy will take my life, but because I was without sin, I will go into the depths of hell and rob him of the authority that he took from Adam. The thing that makes me strong is counterintuitive. Jesus understood the secret to his strength. Come on, we're over time. I want to give you an invitation. Ooh, we real overtime. We got to get out of here. Pastor Tyrus, what are we doing? We got to go. <laughs> Let me give you an invitation. 
I love putting the Bible in context. Here's a cool thing. I haven't been here all year. Um, I started this crazy thing in my garage during the pandemic. The pandemic became the secret to my strength. You know, I quit my job here at World Overcomers in December 2019. Anybody ever mad like, Holy Ghost, you could have given me a whole heads up. You knew there was a pandemic happening. I quit my job in December 2019 because we had done 70 speaking engagements in the year 2019, traveling all around America, all around the world. And uh, I decided, man, you know what? I think God's calling us to serve the body of Christ, not just this local church. And so I quit my job here in December 2019. The pandemic hit. Man, January was dope. Lots of speaking engagements. Churches was generous. I paid my mortgage. My wife was happy. February was dope. Then halfway through March, Tom Hanks got COVID. We all came home. And from March till August, I had no income. No speaking engagements, no large gatherings, no airplanes. The thing that I thought would be the source of strength in my life, that well ran dry. We got 35 cancellations in one weekend. Every cancellation that came through, I was like, uh, my mortgage, my house. I, I'm, come on, can we be real? I'm Googling the difference between forbearance and deferment. <laughs> Don't act like I'm the only one. Somewhere around May, God said, are you going to be... Are you going to keep feeling sorry for yourself or are you going to use what you got? It's like, what do I have? You have a camera. You got some kids at that youth group who will do whatever you tell them to do. And you have a garage. I convinced Tia to park in the driveway instead of the garage. And I turned my garage into a studio. What seemed crazy in 2020, fast forward to 2023. I just hired six people, moved them to Dallas. Because that little project in my garage, now 4,000 people pay us $13 a month to learn the Bible in context. That little project in my garage makes $50,000 of recurring revenue every month, like clockwork. I have six employees at the moment. I sign the front of checks, not the back of checks. I was so angry that I lost 35 speaking engagements. Now I don't need any speaking engagements. I don't have to get on an airplane to make any money. Can I tell you that camera had always been in my house? That garage was always in my house. All the stuff that has turned my life around was always there, but I couldn't see it because speaking engagements had become my idol. This little project in my garage has created jobs and opportunities. And I want to give you an invitation. We started Arma. We made it $13 a month for a reason. I'm paying a whole lot of money to get a seminary education. But we decided this. How about we make a seminary education $13 a month? Don't act like you ain't on Netflix and Hulu and TikTok in your life away and on Instagram Reels. Here's what we do. Every single month, we put out a brand new course. Right now, there's about 50 courses on our platform, and here's what we specialize in, putting the Bible in context. I love putting the Bible in context. I'm a Bible nerd. You can throw up the QR code. If you sign up today, our courses are about two to three hours, but here's the good thing. Every session is 12 minutes. 
How about you spend 12 minutes every day in 2024 becoming biblically literate? $13, 12 minutes. I think if you make that commitment, you'll be in a service just like this, this time next year, and you won't be dependent on what a preacher has to say. You'll be dependent on knowing God for yourself and hearing God for yourself and understanding the Bible for yourself. During the pandemic, the Holy Spirit convicted me. He said, you can fly around and preach places and people will get excited for a day and then you'll leave. Or you can teach people how to feed themselves and they'll eat for the rest of their life. You can scan the QR code. Here's what we're gonna do. All you have to do is get signed up on your phone. As you leave the lobby, you'll see there's like banners outside. I will give you a free gift. This is a book by A.W. Tozer called The Pursuit of God. If you sign up right now, when you leave service, you'll just wave your confirmation at me. I will hand you a book by A.W. Tozer. Uh, the book changed my life in college, and it's a free gift from me to you for signing up today. I love that Pastor Andy has started this thing called Man Made, so I'm going to do this for all the men in the room. First 25 dudes that sign up and come out there, there's a book called Manhood Restored by a black pastor in Philadelphia that has changed my life. First 25 men that sign up, I'll give you a copy of Manhood Restored. Because we believe that if men get right, families get right. If men are strong, everyone is strong. When men win, we all win. I want you to throw up this picture real quick of Xavier, this boy in Las Vegas, this little black boy. When I preached at his parents' church, his dad's name is Chris, his mom's name is Jasmine. When I preached at their church, Chris and Jasmine got an armor subscription. $13 a month, 12 minutes a day. Every day, Chris, the dad, opened up his laptop, started watching me uh, teach courses every single day. Well, guess who was watching Chris? Xavier, five years old at the time. And so Xavier, after a couple of months, asked his parents, I want my own account. That is a picture of Xavier sitting at a Starbucks watching me teach the book of John chapter by chapter. I saw on the back end of our website that Xavier was constantly in the top 100 people watching all of our courses, taking all of the quizzes, finishing all of the content. I saw that he had started the course on homosexuality. We have a three-hour course on homosexuality. I reached out to his dad and his mom, said, yo, Xavier's six. Uh, you want him to watch this course on homosexuality? His father hit the man of the home, said, yeah, we got him in public school. I'd rather him hear what you have to say about homosexuality than what a teacher who believes in all the alphabets has to say about homosexuality. Guess what's true about Xavier? We'll never have to repair him because we prepared him with a biblical worldview. And if his father didn't have a hunger for the word of God, he wouldn't have a hunger for the word of God. If that six-year-old boy can go through our courses, you ain't got no excuses. If you're a man in the room and you got kids, hey, sign up. You can throw the QR code back up. If you're a man in the room, get signed up. Your kids are dependent upon you to be the man of the home and have a passion for the word of God. Podcasts ain't going to do it. YouTube videos, sermons ain't going to do it. Let's learn the word of God. You can sign up, scan that QR code, meet me in the lobby. I got a free gift for you. Are we taking up an offering? And I'm doing that? Come on. Who's ready to give? Thank you, Pastor Tyrus, for quarterbacking from the front row. Come on, let's give. You know what's funny? In the middle of a pandemic, the enemy started tempting me to not tithe. I remember telling God, all I need is $5,000 every month to pay all the bills. 
You know what's crazy? At the time, $5,000 seemed like a lot of money because we were in the middle of a pandemic. And now I run an organization that makes $50,000 every single month. That is wild. In the middle of the pandemic, I made a decision. I put $500 on auto pay. I let the church take that thing. All the real Christians do auto pay. <laughs> All the Easter Christians just tip God. The real Christians auto pay. And I said, Lord, you're going to have to make sure that $500 is even in the account every month. That's your job. You want to know what's crazy? Every single month that I gave God $500 first, I always made $10,000 or more. Because you can't outgive God. I didn't make any income from March until August. And we always paid the mortgage. We always had more than enough. We never skipped date night. And we did in vitro fertilization two times in 2020 to get our miracle boy. Spent $20,000 cash money each time we did IVF. Because God is a provider and his favor is on your life. You cannot outbeat God. Can't do it. So let's give. Let's give to the work of the kingdom of God. We're believing God for a building. We're believing God that he's going to bless next year. Come on, let's give God out of the abundance. We've already taken up the tithe, but come on, we want to give God an offering. Let's pray. If you got your offering in your hand, hold it in the hand of your strength. God, we bless every gift and every giver. God, we declare over your people today that they're joyful givers in the room. God, we're giving not out of compulsion, but we're giving because you first gave to us. God, we thank you. We bless you. Bless Every single person giving in this offering, come on, hold up your offering. If you're giving on your phone, hold it up. Come on, God, we bless every single offering. We bless every single giver. We ask that you would do exceedingly and abundantly in our life. In Jesus' name, you can pass the buckets. Go for it. World Overcomers, I absolutely love you. If you're getting signed up for ARMA, meet me in the lobby. I will be in the lobby until I hug everybody who wants a hug because I'm an extrovert. I love you guys so much. Come on, give it up for Pastor Tyrus. If y'all can just stay still for a minute, allow Pastor Manny an opportunity to go out and then allow those buckets to pass you. Remember, we'll be back here tonight at 9 p.m. for service. We'll be back here at 9 p.m. for service. Our pastor will be releasing the theme for 2024. So those of you who are online, you still have time to get here. If you're out of town, book a flight right quick and come on. That's right, book a flight. My, my auntie's watching, auntie... Book a flight. Come on, you can stay with us. Book a flight and come on down and stay. Listen, those of you who are being baptized this evening, you'll be going into the fellowship hall to grab your belongings for tonight. Grab your T-shirt, your bags, everything you need. To my, to my right, your left. Those of you who are heading out to the Alma subscription, you're going out the sanctuary and you're going to make a left right there. All right? Give the, give the buckets a minute, y'all, and we're going to go. Y'all excited about hearing from our senior pastor this evening? We're ready to hear from our senior pastor this evening. He'll be preaching the word of God to us. Let's give it up for First. Thank God for First being here with us. For love First. Thank God for you being here with us. All right, we appreciate you all. Let's stand. Let's stand. All right. Do me a favor before we leave. I know usually we just run out the door. But would you be nice to somebody that's next to you and just tell them it was nice fellowshipping next to you today? Serious, we do all that talking to God and we don't say anything to one another.
It was nice fellowshipping with you today. May the Spirit of the Lord go with you and be with you throughout the rest of this day until we should return this evening. Amen. Have a wonderful afternoon. I'll see you tonight. Hopefully you were blessed and encouraged by this message. Visit www.worldovercomers.church slash podcast for more information on WOCC and events that are coming up. Maybe we are coming to your area soon. God bless.